For our second message, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews, simply titled John 14, 21. Mr. Andrews. Yes, I had it on. <laughs> I was trying to be very uh, helpful there. <clears throat> on that day of Pentecost, when that spirit was given, the power of that spirit was dynamically given. It was a powerful message. Not only that the Spirit was given and shown, and that there was tongues that were, languages that were spoken, that, and the hearing that they heard in their own language, but that men now had something powerful. You know, the Spirit it says in the Bible that it is deutimus, it's power. And it's interesting on that day, Peter said something to the men of Israel. And of course, I'll leave most of all of the scriptures in Acts, the, the second chapter, to tomorrow. But I wanted to just emphasize this before going into the heart of my message. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words, verse 22 of Acts, the second chapter. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held. We understand all of the ramifications of what Christ had to go through for this day of Pentecost to come about that we will be celebrating tomorrow. Brethren, whenever we come before God, and we come to that point of repentance because that's the very first thing that Peter said after they asked him, what can we do? They were pricked in their heart. What can we do? He said, repent. That means change your life. Change your way of thinking. It is interesting that this way of life is not joining some club not being a part of some organization that you know, will put you in a position of power or um, authority or anything like that. What we have come to is the very throne of God. What we are learning is the very way that God wants us to live this life. And what he is teaching us is the way of life and the hope of eternal life. It's not a social club. 
and it's not following the ways of this world. And that brings me to John, that 14th chapter, and that one verse. Because Christ, before he is crucifixion, and I know he was heavy at heart, understanding what he was going to have to go through, understanding the significance of what it meant for him to sacrifice his life for all of mankind, not just for those disciples that were following him, because on the day of Pentecost, at that time when they received it, it was only 120 in that upper room. Yet many more repented and received that Holy Spirit. But he was giving instructions to disciples, and we are his disciples. And he says, he that has my commandments and keeps them. He that has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself unto him. Myself to him. It's very important to understand that Christ left us a set of commandments. Sometimes we don't, we don't visualize what Jesus said sometimes as commandments. Things that we ought to live by. Things that we ought to understand that we ought to be inculcating in our life. Working to overcome our human nature, and being more Christ-like. We don't see that reading those words in red have great significance and importance as far as you and I living this way of life and being pleasing in the sight of God and Jesus Christ, God the Father and Jesus Christ. I want to show you through one chapter how important the commandments of Jesus Christ are. Jesus kept all of the commandments of God. He was perfect. He was sinless. And he walked this earth. And he is our example. But he also had to stand up against many, many, many people who did not believe what he was teaching and hated him violently and wanted him dead. But his instructions for us are so profound that when we go back and we read those gospel messages, they should speak to us and they should show us the commandments that we should be following. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the Beatitudes either. I'm talking about all the things that Jesus said that should affect that heart because that spirit dwells within us. And that should lead us to a changed life. In chapter 14 of Luke, and this is the chapter that I'm going to concentrate on today, and I want us to, to understand that as we come into Pentecost the things that Jesus both taught, lived, and died for so that we could receive that Holy Spirit. And he taught 
so that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. Sometimes we have to walk in this life and receive persecution, trials and tribulations, but it's important that we follow Christ and not the things of this world. He came to pass and he went to the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Now, that's interesting, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now, I'm not real familiar with all of the terms in the Bible, so I had to go look that one up. Well, a dropsy is a kind of a swelling, water retention type thing, so it might be like a heart problem. It's hard to tell exactly what you know, at that particular time what that was, but it did say that it was a water retention problem, and this person that they brought before him had this particular problem. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Another one of those profound questions in the Bible. And they held their peace, and he took him and healed him and let him go. It's interesting. Remember the story of the blind man. When the blind man received his sight, Jesus came back because he had been rejected. He, 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 prophesied, he, he went out and he witnessed of that seat, of that sight that was given to him. And Jesus came and asked him, you know, if he believed. And he said he did, and he said, follow me. And he, you know, that man may be following him. This man here may have been planted. And Jesus healed him anyway because he had something important to say. And they held their peace, and he took him and healed him and let him go. And he answered and said, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a ditch and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. It was an act of mercy. An act of mercy. An act of kindness. Of course, he used that example about pulling that ox out because that was something that was in the scriptures, but think about it. And I'm not here to legislate any, anyone on the Sabbath day, but if you had a problem with your car, trying to come to, to Sabbath services, a flat tire, we'd have to change it, wouldn't we? That would be an ox in the ditch. Now, we have to feed a, a whole army of animals every day. And uh, so that's kind of a chore. Uh, but they get very um, vocal if I don't feed them. So I take care of my, we take care of our animals on a daily basis. One of the other things that, that the Sabbath is good for, and is a, is a wonderful time for us to, to have something lawful to do on the Sabbath, which be to visit the sick, to pray for the sick, to visit those that are afflicted, to comfort those that are afflicted. Those are things that are good for us 
and good for the spirit that dwells in us to help others on the Sabbath day. As Jesus helped this man, but we don't know that that man ever was thankful for that help. Verse 6, And they could not answer him again unto these things, and he put forth the parable of those which were bidden, when he had marked how they chose out of the chief room, saying to them, When you are bidden of any man to a wedding. Now remember, a wedding has to have an invitation. Funerals are different. Anyone can show up at a funeral and listen to the message at that funeral, whether they be relatives or friends or just a stranger, and they come forth and they're at that funeral. But a wedding is different. You have to be bidden. You have to be invited to that. Sit not in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that bid you, and him come and say to you, give this man place. And you begin with, the, with shame to take the lowest room. But when you are bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. We'll be modest about what we do. As Christ has taught us. He says, in the lowest room. And when he, when he that bid you come... He may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you shall have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. We understand that scripture. In James, the fourth chapter, humble yourself before the Lord, and he shall lift you up. There's spiritual principles even in this physical example that he's given here about this individual that should go into that wedding, sit in the back, unless you're bidden to the front. Unless you're bidden to that place of honor, take the humble spot. Take that of less honor. And then he also said in a bid, uh, to them that bid him, When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends nor your brethren, neither kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid you again, and recompense be made to you. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you, for you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just." I wonder where our generosity in this nation came from. Is this generation losing the understanding that our generation come from reading the words of Jesus Christ? We have been a generous nation because we're, we have been a Christian nation. And when the minister got up there and he read that, People's hearts were affected, and compassion went out. And somebody was affected by something they gave. They gave. Not expecting any return at all. And by, by far, America has not received 
the kind of return that we have given out. We are a very generous people and have given much to the world. And I think it's because of this heritage. And are we going to lose it? Are we going to lose it because it is a blessing to this nation to have this kind of attitude? Of course, we ought to have it also. But it is a blessing to this nation to have that kind of attitude of giving because there's people out there that need. He said, when one of them sat at meat with him and heard these things, he said, Blessed he is he shall eat bread at the king, in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A certain man made a great supper and bid many. Now what's the allusion to this one? We know what Jesus was pointing to. And he said a servant at supper time and say to them, that are bidden, come, for all things are now ready. God the Father is ready, isn't he? He prepares ahead of time. He is prepared ahead of time. The supper is ready for us, brethren. That special meal that we are going to have in the kingdom of God is already ready. He's just bidding calling us to come to it. Let's hope we're not like these people here. And they, with one consent, began to make an excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray you have excused me. Have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray you have me excused. At work, we don't turn down a free meal. <laughs> he was bidding them to something very, very special. And they were turning him down. Oh, I got to go. I, I, the world is calling me today. I got to go. I, fought, I bought five oxen, <laughs> and I got to go prove them. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. All the worldly things are keeping me from going to the special meal that you set aside for me. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things that the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. He says, I can't understand it. I've bid them, I've called them, and they won't come. So you just go out and you call others. And that's what they did, that the Jews would not hear they did not believe Jesus, so they began to preach to the Gentiles. And they came in droves and understood. Seems like we have 
things in our ears today that we can't hear in this nation. So some of the nations like Africa and other places are now hearing the Word of God and believing. And the servant said, Lord, it's done. You've commanded, and yet there is room. There's still room for more to come. The Lord said to the servant, go out in the, byway, in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. None of those men that were bidden shall taste of my supper. Jesus is teaching us a lesson about whenever we, especially when those of us who have been called into this way, that we are to follow this truth and not turn our backs on it. One of the things that's, and I'm going to get into that here in a second, is to think about our calling and how we came into this way. That's this next part of this. And he said, There were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. There is There is a way that we have to walk in which it might offend even our own family. I remember when I was first called many, many years ago that I had some friends whom I tried to convert. <laughs> um, I had a couple of them. And, and I was so very excited about what God was showing me in his word, even though I was extremely ignorant about the, the, you know, the, all of the what was there. But God's Holy Spirit was working in me, helping me to, to discern the deeper meaning of what he had in his word. And I remember trying to, to get one of my friends to understand it. And he just looked at me and shook his head. There was no understanding. I had to finally give that friendship up. We've been friends since junior high school. We've gone through many different things, and some of it not so good. But maybe it was a friendship that needed to be given up. I know my mother and father. My mother took the plain truth and understood a lot. My father didn't understand anything. <laughs> he really didn't understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. But as a, as parents and as a father, he was, he did sacrifice for me because I did go through a pretty big trial and they, they gave up a lot to help me to get through it. And so I was very grateful in, in their last days as I spent a lot, you know, some time with my dad and wish I'd spent more with him and understood him better, but he never did understand exactly what I was doing and why I was doing it. And that's what Jesus said. When we follow him, it must be to the exclusion of all others. Now, when we establish our life, 
we still have that life, but our primary focus should be Jesus Christ and God the Father. We are his disciples. We are his students. We are learning. These are his commandments to us. He's teaching us how to live this life as he walked and lived this life. He says, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those people would understand what he was talking about because they've probably watched a few people bearing their cross to be crucified. Because that's what the Romans did. They made you take it on your shoulder and walk with it. That's pretty cruel, isn't it? Here's, here's your death. This is what you're going to do. You're going to walk with this thing, and you're going to take it right up to the place where we've got a hole for it, and you're, you know, it's going to go into that ground, and you're going to be crucified on it. And that's what he was talking about. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Remember Jesus' words, he says, it's, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. If you take up the plow, which means you take this life's effort, and you look back into this world and want to go back into it. You're not worthy of the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ did not sacrifice, give his life up for you, me, and all of mankind that we might be a part of a, some club. We are his children. He is our elder brother. He teaches us, guides us, and leads us through his words that we have in this book. This is his word. And we read those and believe that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and has left us instructions, commandments that we should follow. He says, For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether it's sufficient to finish it? Everyone that I have ever counseled needs to understand that there is a cost that you will have when you follow this way of life. That you need to count that cost before you make that decision. The kingdom of God is worth our sacrifice. It's worth any sacrifice that you can make in your life to be in that kingdom. And we must Look to the future. How far are we willing to go? Are we willing to follow men who might take us astray, away from this Word of God? Or are we willing to follow Jesus Christ and the Word that is written in this book? That's the intent and purpose of the commandments that Jesus has left us. He says, lest happily after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. 
those who have given up on this way, I, I feel sorry for. I, I don't understand. Maybe they were just following men. And they didn't see the hope through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit that's given to help us to understand the truth. I mean, this is a tremendous day that we're going to be observing tomorrow. That the Holy Spirit is going, was poured out on mankind. It's hard to believe sometimes that God so loved the world that he gave his son that we might have that spirit, that indwelling of the Father and the Son with inside of us in our heart. Counting the cost of this way of life is part of that journey. Are we willing to give up the things that will keep us out of the kingdom of God? Saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. 31, of what king going to war or make war against another king sits not down and first and consults whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. That's pretty good. That's not very good odds. Especially if you're doing hand-to-hand -hand combat, that's not good odds at all. Or else while, he, <clears throat> while the other is yet great away, he sends an ambas ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, who, uh, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes it very plain. One, sometimes that the road is difficult to travel. And two, there's no alternatives. There's no alternatives. That we, if we're going to follow Christ, we must give up all that sets in the way of that destination, the kingdom of God. And if Christ and God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, are going to dwell in us, we must be willing to follow what Christ has taught, what's written in the Bible. Now, I wrote in here, are the worldly things more important than the spiritual? Are the worldly things more important than the spiritual? You know, all these things that seem important to us pale into the insignificance that which is the kingdom of God. That heavenly Jerusalem, that place that we have, that abode that we will be with the Father and, and the Son forever is a great and fantastic goal for each and every human being. It far outstrips any physical thing, because we're temporal. We're going to die, brethren. We're going to die. And without that Holy Spirit to quicken us, to give us that hope of eternal life, we're going to die forever. All men face death. All men face death. Salt is good. 
little salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? You can't put it back. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that has an ear, let him hear. He that has an ear, let him hear. The words of Jesus are very important as we come upon these days. I want to just introduce you to chapter 15. Didn't know if I was going to have a, enough time. But in this one, there are three things that Jesus, three parables that Jesus is bringing about in which the lost are found. Seeking the lost and finding them. Then drew near to him publicans and sinners for to hear him. Interesting. Publicans and sinners. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. I was thinking maybe sometimes it's not so much that the person has completely turned their back on this way of life, but that they are kind of backsliding on this way of life. And they're losing out. And they need to be found. And they need renewal. And they need repentance. And, he was and when he was found, he lays him on his shoulder rejoicing. And he, when he comes he home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Whenever we kind of start sliding back into the world and we realize it and we repent, is there a rejoicing that goes on for us on an individual basis? Our guardian angel says, he finally turned around. I was so worried that maybe Satan or the world had brought him to destruction. I was so worried. I'm so joyous that he repented and he came back to this way of life. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle, sweep the house, seek diligently till she find it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors all together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is, there, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Over one sinner that repents. You can go on and read the story of the two sons and how that, that one wasted his life. Wasted his life on this world. Wasted his fortune. And it has a, 
It has a deep, lot of deep spiritual meaning. He turned around, though. He began to realize. He got to the point where he was eating corn husks of the swine. I can't, it's hard for me to imagine wallowing along with the, the pigs, grabbing up one of those corn husks and chewing on it. <laughs> Especially if the pigs have been, been in it. Ah, I mean, this guy got to the bottom of the barrel, and sometimes that's what it takes in our life. And especially a person who God is calling and they have not heard this word. They get to the bottom of the barrel and they, they, they turn around because they've spent their life. They've spent their life and they've come out of that swill, come out of that filth, and they turn around. And it was a joy. The father was so happy to see that son. He was rejoicing. Rejoicing over that son that came back. Well, no, he didn't have anything but the joy of that father because he had spent his fortune. But that was sufficient for him because he'd been to the bottom. And he had repented. He turned his life back around. And that's what we sometimes need to do when we slide back into this world. Let's hope we don't have to go that far. Back in John, the 14th chapter, to finish up, as we approach this day of Pentecost, there, these words that Jesus says he was speaking there at the end of his life, the presentation that he was making before his disciples to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them to, to go through what they were going to have to go through as they were going to watch Jesus crucified, someone that they had been following for three and a half years. And they denied him. But they remembered his words. He that has my commandments and keep them, he it is that loves me, verse 21. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas says to him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We will come and we will make our abode with him. Brethren, this life that we have chosen, that God has chosen to, to bring us into, and we have committed to it. That's the better way. We were, you know, we didn't choose it. God chose us, and we answered the call. And we are committed to it. It's wonderful because He abides in us. He's teaching us, guiding us, leading us. He's given us His word that we can follow. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which my what you hear is not mine, but the Father's which he sent me. These things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which we will which will be talked about tomorrow, and was talked about in the first message, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. That is important in our Christian walk that we keep the sayings of the Father and the Son.